Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio, I'm Jason Bellamy. When it comes to treating people with cancer, there's no one-size-fits-all approach. The type of cancer a person has and the severity of the cancer will dictate the method and intensity of the treatment. But early research suggests that anyone with cancer will likely benefit from prehabilitation, a period of intervention between cancer diagnosis and traditional cancer treatment. What does prehabilitation entail and what are the benefits? That's what we'll discuss with physical therapist Mary Lou Galantino in this episode of Move Forward Radio. Here's our conversation with Mary Lou Galantino. Mary Lou, if cancer treatment, that term, is sort of attacking the cancer itself, maybe through surgery or chemotherapy and so on, what's cancer prehabilitation? Well, Jason, the cancer prehabilitation process really is thinking along the continuum. If we were going to think about prehabilitation through rehabilitation assessment and intervention of someone with a cancer diagnosis, this is the actual phase that is initiated upon cancer diagnosis where individuals are certainly being worked up for the staging and the grade or the degree of cancer, and, of course, meeting with surgical oncologists, radiation oncologists, and uh, deciding uh, with the surgical procedure uh, with best interventions at that point in time. Now, if we consider the incredible overwhelm that individuals experience with a cancer diagnosis, fitting in prehabilitation indeed might be a bit challenging. However, if we really look at the overarching goals of prehabilitation, it really is meant to improve a person's physical and psychological health. And I want to point out the psychological piece uh, because while individuals are awaiting the final staging and the degree or the extent of the cancer diagnosis, indeed the psychological stress is a bit overwhelming. So being able to attend to one's body in the midst of feeling a bit overwhelmed actually can normalize some of the stressors associated with the diagnosis and the workup. And furthermore, prehabilitation can really optimize physical functionality preoperatively to enable the individual to maintain a normal level of function during and after surgery. And with that said, some of the elements can include aerobic exercises, strength training, and functional task training to suit individual needs. So I think that gives a general perspective. And while the window of time, Jason, might be a bit shorter than expected, uh, what we're really doing in the context of that is to be able to assess exactly where an individual enters the journey with a diagnosis of cancer. So I want to talk about all that in more detail later, but before we do that, this concept of prehabilitation for cancer treatment, is that new or has this been around for a long time? So is it new not really. Prehabilitation in terms of the application within 
surgical patients has indeed been studied. As it relates to cancer, there are small clinical trials that we can certainly talk about should you wish, but I think as it relates to cancer prehabilitation, uh, most of the research and the writing has really been guided by Dr. Julie Silver, who has really moved this agenda and this conversation. She's a physiatrist who does cancer rehabilitation out of Harvard and has really driven this conversation forward in uh, certainly the training as well as within our oncology section of the American Physical Therapy Association to drive that earlier intervention and that early focus to prepare individuals along the long journey of the various surgical radiation chemotherapy interventions that patients will incur. So there are so many different types of cancers, so, but give me a sense of what prehabilitation might involve. As a therapist that would work with an individual during the workup for the cancer diagnosis, we would be assessing all of these domains and then prepare for the surgical procedure and the, the potential impairments and functional disabilities or impairments that may occur as a result of the surgical process. I think that might be helpful just to to gain that perspective, and especially with someone with lung cancer, if we take that individual, um, we want to be able to look at their vital capacity prior to surgery and be able to either take some baseline measures, such as a six-minute walk test, and then determine within the constraints of their time to begin to put together either a walking program or an aerobic exercise program alongside with smoking cessation to begin the process of acculturating them to uh, improving their outcomes postoperatively. So I think that that's one example. The second example would be a patient uh, with a diagnosis of breast cancer, and depending upon the surgery that the individual would, uh, would undergo to be able to consider the potential lymphedema outcomes. And that's where our surveillance model of lymphedema prevention that really was done by Nicole Stout and colleagues, uh, where they really showed that measuring pre-surgically and then following women over the course of several years the ability to intervene with proper lymphedema management and intervention uh, really reduce the risk of exacerbation of lymphedema and ultimately reduce the cost of lymphedema treatment throughout the trajectory. So I believe these uh, surveillance models, as exhibited by the breast cancer um, studies that are quite compelling, really give credence to why we want to capture measures prior to surgery. So we do have those baseline measurements. So to bring all those things together, um, like you mentioned, it's it's preparing them uh, for basically the treatment they might undergo and how they're going to navigate that as, as they're going through cancer treatment. It's to prepare them for the life that they may have after the treatment or what that's going to look like, the changes they may need to make as a result of their cancer diagnosis and treatment. It's uh, it's getting those that baseline, as you said, so that they can know how they were preoperatively or pre-treatment um, and, and what to expect thereafter. In all those cases, though, when we go back to that earlier example where you talked about the effectiveness of prehabilitation in situations where people had knee replacement surgery, for example, mm-hmm. hip replacement, 
someone who has a knee replacement or, or decides to do that probably doesn't need the replacement right now. On the other hand, someone who gets diagnosed with cancer uh, may begin treatment almost immediately. So it seems to me the window for prehabilitation must be considerably different. And, and what challenge does that provide um, for, for inserting prehabilitation into this course? Because in some cases, people are going to receive the diagnosis and fairly soon uh, going to begin that treatment process. Well, that is certainly a challenge. So we are working against the clock, Jason, and I think therein lies the careful gradation of proper dosing prehabilitation within the context of the competing consults and challenges therein. So my bottom line question if I'm working with someone newly diagnosed is to be able to capture their existing fitness level as they're walking in. That ability to... Uh, intervene with a strategy of baseline measurements, quantifying existing physical ability and fitness level to then begin to manage and not stop what individuals may already be engaged in, but to, number one, confirm and indeed point out the fact that exercise is important for stress management. One of the areas that we quantify uh, through the trajectory of treatment is distress. And um, the distress and anxiety and depression that occurs can actually be mitigated quite well with the modulation of exercise. And this doesn't mean that they have to do intensive exercise. What it means is that whatever the individual is doing in their present everyday activity Prior to the diagnosis of cancer, they should continue. And and indeed, during treatment, um, oftentimes individuals become sedentary because of either fear of movement of the extremity, number one. Number two, the fatigue that gets incurred as a result of radiation and chemotherapy. And then the emotions that may um, underlie all of the aforementioned treatments. So um, we know the research is quite compelling that exercise during treatment for cancer is truly a mitigator of cancer-related fatigue and does improve outcomes at all levels. So that confirmation of holding on tight to what can I do for my own self um, efficacy, if you will, and what can I do for the ability to maintain my quality of life while I have surgery, uh, turn myself over to chemotherapy, lay on the table for radiation and feel a sense of helplessness, hopelessness, capture it back with physical activity during the trajectory. And I believe that that grounding nature of prehabilitation is the buffer that we want individuals to walk into the journey of treatment. How many um, health professionals may be involved in someone's prehabilitation stage uh, for, for treating cancer? The important feature is putting the right people at the right time for the right patient. Because if you have someone who is opposed to uh, participating at any level of physical activity, we might want to begin with a nutritionist and a nutritionist who will say the and, and possibly be that entree into physical activity in, in concert with optimum nutritional uh, changes in one's treatment. 
So I think that if we're looking at the team players, the big picture would be having a nutritional consult, having the physical therapist intervene with baseline measures, and that includes as I've mentioned, aerobic capacity, range of motion, looking at individuals, postural dynamics, and being able to uh, appreciate an overarching physical capacity test within the construct of their everyday activities. There may be room for our occupational therapy colleagues, especially as it relates to upper extremity neuropathy changes that may occur. Also, the issue of being able to bring in speech therapy if individuals with head and neck cancer may incur post-operative swallowing difficulties. So it really is the whole rehabilitation team in a way that certainly can be overseen by a physiatrist. But then you're talking about a huge team coming in on top of the existing medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, and surgeons. So being able to carefully pick the one or two rehab team interventionists, if you will, uh, really is the ability to look at that individual who walks in with a cancer diagnosis to state what can we rectify in a way that an individual will begin to own where they are in just the small measurable outcomes. And therein lies the ability to measure one's self-efficacy. How do they perceive themselves now before they walk into all of these treatment interventions? And capturing one's self-efficacy and stage of behavior change, Jason, to me is the basic elemental piece of data that uh, no matter who is collecting the data on in the prehabilitation team, really has to ascertain because then we could launch an individualized prehabilitation program in a way that will be acceptable to that individual uh, as he or she undergoes the many changes of cancer treatment. So part of any recovery process, typically any treatment process, um, the, the more intensive it is, the more likely it is that there's a caregiver involved. And, and so that's the, the other member of that team um, on, on the periphery there compared to the, the healthcare professionals potentially, but right in the heart of it, uh, likely at home. Uh, what's the role for a caregiver in the prehabilitation phase, if any? Oh, a very, very important role, uh, Jason. I think what is super important is the fact that that caregiver, number one, takes care of him or herself. Number two, uh, the ability for a accountability partner, if you will, um, uh, in the area of supporting the individual in either a walking program or a mind-body yoga-based program or uh, a program that will be done in concert or together as a coach, as a coach uh, that will uh, be by that individual's side to indeed engage uh, the individual in monitoring and supporting. They may be the uh, the caregiver, him or herself, may be an entire family dynamic or may be a wellness community, a local wellness community that really provides free nutrition uh, and exercise classes in the community. And I think that's one of the resources 
that um, I'm on the board of our wellness community in Wilmington, Delaware, and I feel really strongly that this resource free to those who would like to access it is really available for all of these consults that we've discussed. So if indeed it's not available in the healthcare system, individuals can be their own advocates and seek uh, various local wellness communities that have cooking classes, nutrition classes, yoga-based classes, Pilates, Tai Chi, and also social support classes. And therein lies the caregiver's role to engage in his or her own support mechanism to be able to buffer him or herself in the care of the individual undergoing extensive treatment for their cancer. That's a great point. So you've talked about the, the so many benefits that there are potentially physically, psychologically um, for someone going through cancer treatment, um, and you've highlighted a little bit of, of what we still want to know in terms of creating you know specialized individual programs and, and things of that nature and, and knowing exactly where all the pieces fit. But, but top of the list, kind of what don't we know about prehabilitation as it relates to cancer treatment that you would most like to know at this point? I think what's important is what's the proper dose. That's probably at the top of my list. There are several studies that look at lung, colorectal, and esophageal cancer, and is a four-week. They did a four-week prehabilitation program that did not delay the usual workup for, in, in this case, lung cancer and subsequent resection surgery. And what they actually showed with just the four-week prehabilitation program was that patients in the pulmonary prehabilitation subset had a shorter hospital stay and a shorter duration of chest tube necessity. My question after that study would be, would two weeks show similar outcomes? In an Italian study that looked at patients with stage 1 or 2 non-small cell lung cancer and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, who went through a prehabilitation program, they did supervised aerobic exercises and added strength training. Now, granted, these are small studies, but all individuals um, with functional improvement as measured by peak oxygen consumption and pulmonary function tests. So these studies are small. Many have been done in other countries, including Japan, where they looked at individuals, again, lung cancer, that received prehabilitation. And they had a supervised hospital-based respiratory therapy program. And they had greater impairments in lung function in the prehabilitation group. The prehabilitation patients had fewer postoperative complications. And again, shorter hospital stay. So I think if I put together my list, it's the timing and the availability a potentially curative treatment are important considerations when designing the prehabilitation program. And as we go forward, this issue of optimizing post-surgical return to function, reduction in impairments, and ultimately the ability to, you know, potentially affect mortality. I mean, we have, that's a long-range question. Can prehabilitation... Right actually improve mortality. We want to reduce, obviously, the comorbidities that individuals come to the table with when they have a cancer diagnosis. But can we actually predict survival 
if we implement prehabilitation. Because if we could have the armamentarium of exercise uh, across the board and across the spectrum of cancer survivorship and then know that that implemented prehabilitation played a major role, uh, then we can look at some of these cost-effective and reduction in morbidity and mortality. Uh, I think that's really key. I also want to point out that there is room for wellness coaching in the context of all of this. I actually did a study in the state of Delaware where Governor Minner had us looking at this very question that you asked prior. How do we serve now at the other end after individuals finish treatment? And we did five telephonic wellness coaching interventions for individuals with all types of cancer. We actually found that anxiety and depression uh, reduced and physical activity increased, and this was after all treatment was done. So I think while we spent a lot of time looking at prehabilitation, I want us to fast forward and once treatment is done, what do we do? Right. Because the whole focus on the patient is the trajectory of treatment, and then all treatment ceases months or sometimes years later, and the question begs, what do we do to then prevent recurrence? So that would be a lovely question to ask. Can prehabilitation be that underpinning, if you will, to really, you know, having that long-term sustainability of prevention of cancer recurrence? So this evidence to me is is quite compelling. Uh, and unfortunately, I think that concern that you mentioned earlier in our conversation today about the sense of overwhelm, uh, the multiple appointments that individuals have to attend to. I really feel that we can't can't afford to not have rehabilitation as part of the overarching entree into treatment for cancer. So on that note, we started this discussion by talking about how overwhelming it is when, when someone gets that diagnosis, um, their, their brain is likely to shift um, immediately to what the treatment is going to be and what that's going to entail. Um, so let's wrap up then with this. Is is what's for somebody who gets the cancer diagnosis, no, no matter the severity, as it relates to prehabilitation, what should they be asking? What should they be looking for? What should they tell their physician or whomever um, in order to see what prehabilitation options are available to them? I think what's important is that Number one, along the list of consulting options for individuals, I believe that that should be available for individuals speaking to their oncologist or their pathologist or their surgeon. And being able to see a physical therapist in a way that that confirmation of existing physical activity level or encouragement to begin a physical activity program is uh, the first line of option for um, individuals. And in concert with that, the educational piece that comes along with exercise and being able to mitigate the stressors and the psychological impact of anxiety and the precursor to being able to have stress management strategies, including mind-body awareness, meditation, breathing techniques, could all be part of that baseline measurement that a consult with a physical therapist 
would provide for individuals uh, prior to surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation. Mary Lou Galantina, thank you so much for all the great information. Well, it's certainly been my pleasure, Jason, and speaking from uh, both a healthcare professional perspective, a cancer survivor myself, a husband who survived head and neck cancer, and being able to see it from all different perspectives as a clinician, as someone who has been doing cancer rehabilitation since the early 80s, someone who has lived the diagnosis, and someone who has really reached out to do public health research in this area, to have the conversation with you for our listeners is really an honor, it's a pleasure, and it is my hope that our healthcare system can continue to really cultivate the conversation of prehabilitation in a way that will optimize quality of life for all of us surviving cancer. So thank you very much for this time. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.